To venerate is to hold in great respect. This great nation of ours is filled with great people that have a story to tell. The Veneration Nation is a storytelling podcast. Storytelling from the distinguished and sometimes controversial members of our community. We will document the stories behind these great people. Join us, listen, and learn. Are you someone we need to talk to? Or do you have a suggestion of someone we should be talking to? Email us your suggestions to the Veneration Nation at Outlook.com. Now, the Veneration Nation podcast, based out of the great Pacific Northwest in Ording, Washington. Well, welcome this evening. Uh, we have a special guest on the line tonight, number 52, from the 1978 Raymond Seagulls. I'd like to introduce everyone to Mr. Randy Rhodes. Well, Sean, nice to be on Veneration Nation. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing just great. I'm doing just great. We'd like to hear some history from uh, the, the thriving metropolis of Raymond, Washington. Well, you know, when I grew up in Raymond, the population was right around 2,300. And I graduated in 1978 with 78 class members in my class, oddly enough. Only 78. Only 78. We were a Class A school, and we won the state Class A football championship when I was a player there at the Raymond Seagulls. Uh, three years in a row, the trifecta. It felt so good, but it felt so bad when we had that first loss that we've ever experienced. <laughs> yeah, you know, because as kids, we had 56 great wins as high school football players, and we never knew in our playing career what it was like to lose the game until our senior year. I believe we lost to Winlock, the Cardinals. Winlock Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, just a, a very odd feeling because, you know, through junior high and high school, we never lost a game. Long winning streak. But, you know, Sean, growing up in Raymond, and really I can just say it was like leave it to Beaver. There are times when we would in the summertime or during school time, on the weekends, we'd hit our bicycles. 8 30, 9 o'clock in the morning, and we would ride what was called the Monahan Loop. My cousin, Jeff, we were inseparable back then. So we would hit the loop, take our time, take a little lunch with us, and we would ride our stingrays around this 11 mile loop. It's called the Monahan Landing Road. And we'd circle back into downtown Raymond, and that's when things really got cool. One of our major stops was the dentist company, Honda Shop. We were all into motorcycles, although we never owned one at the time. But we would go in there, and they had a popcorn machine. We'd eat popcorn, sit on the motorcycle, uh, get the guys behind the counter kind of mad at us for farting around with the bikes and stuff like that. And then we'd cruise to the uh, Dunsmore Drugstore. In fact, a very uh, longtime institution in the Raymond area from, gosh, I think the 40s. Uh, no longer there, but uh, it survived maybe through the 80s, but that was one of our big stops because that was the local record store. And that's where we'd buy our 45s, record albums. I remember one time my uh, cousin Jeff and I, on one of our bike rides, uh, we were saving our money, and he had a paper route. And I would help him with his paper route once in a while just to get out and walk with him or take it on the bike and things like that. We were next-door neighbors, and I think my first radio gig and, you know, from the paper route money, 
lawn mowing money. One time, Jeff and I stopped into Dunsmore Drug to check out the record collection there. I think this might have been my first radio gig. We're talking, eh, I was think 14, right around 14, 1974. And we had our eyeballs on this intercom set, not wireless back in the day, <laughs> but it has a 50, uh, roughly a, a 50, but it had roughly a 50 foot cable to it. So we strung the wire from my bedroom to his bedroom and we each had intercoms and we talked back and forth and then I started playing music. So that was my first radio gig. I'd hold, <laughs> hold the intercom down to my speaker and I'd do radio shows for my cousin next door on this like $11 <laughs> intercom set. It was quite fantastic, although neither of our dads were wild about this wire hanging from my bedroom down to his bedroom on the he was on the lower floor. I was upstairs. So this was so this was stringing like like next door across the, from window to window. Yeah, it was across our yard to his bedroom window, my upstairs bedroom window. So it wasn't like in the way if you're mowing the grass or anything. But we got some pretty uh, pretty stink eye looks from our dad, <laughs> you know, from stuff like that. They didn't like that stuff. But, you know, that was one of the fond memories that I had growing up there on Larch Street. And Raymond, and you know, like I say, Sean, we'd hit our bikes. We wouldn't come back for hours. You know how it was back in the day. Oh, sure. You would. We you would. Before. You would eat lunch at whoever's home you were at. Who's ever you know home you were at? Their mom would want to feed you all lunch. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorites, and still to this day, Sean, and I hope you can relate to this. Uh, tomato soup and toasted cheese <laughs> and toasted cheese <laughs> is it is that is that toasted cheese or is that grilled cheese i don't you know, know back I in the 70s it might have changed <laughs> we called it toasted cheese sandwich <laughs> back in the day and it was such a good combo sean because the the uh, toasted cheese sandwich was perfect for dipping into the tomato soup <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sean, like I say, you know, growing up in Raymond, it was kind of a cross between Mayberry and Leave it to Beaver. Not a care in the world. I mean, we spent we spent a lot of hours up in the woods. And it was probably five minutes from our place to get up into the trails. We'd ride our bikes on the trails. Some of the older kids had hung this rope swing. And we would go to this rope swing and swing across this big canyon. And then they'd catch us and say, get off my rope swing, you kids. But you know, stuff like that. We, we spent so much time up in the woods on our bikes, hiking. You know, that's back in the day. You got, Kids got out and got exercise, fresh air. And I have nothing but fond memories of growing up in a small town. And I feel very blessed to have grown up in Raymond, uh, did a little bit of fishing with my dad. Uh, we would oftentimes go to the beach at Westport. Long Beach. Long Beach, by the way, the home of the world's largest frying pan. That's right. <laughs> Don't know if they ever used it to make an omelet or anything. But I'm 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 yeah, sure people I'm sure people come from all over the world to see the world's largest frying pan. Well, you know, and then they also had the uh the museum there where they had an actual, they say, a African shrunken head. Oh, <laughs> 
Next time I'm in town, I need to stop in. Sean, it's called Marsh's Museum. Not Marsha. Marsh's, M-A-R-S-H. Marsh's Museum right there in Long Beach. And I, I'm pretty sure it's still there, so check it out. Well, and that and isn't that where that's where the that's where the famous frying pan is as well, is that not right? Uh, yeah, it's right there in front of it, you bet. <laughs> so this is all grade school time and up into junior high. 1967 through about 74. And like I say, my buddy Jeff, my cousin, he and I were, you know, joined at the hip, basically. We did everything together. Sure. And then um, my father passed away when I was 10. Okay. And my mother remarried a few years later to a gentleman in the Air Force. His name was Joe. And so for a short time, we lived in our house on Lark Street. But when Joe came into our lives, we really respected the heck out of this guy. Uh, a senior master sergeant of the Air Force, flight line supervisor. But he had TDY. And I know you grew up in a military family too, Sean. Yes. So, uh, TDY was temporary duty. So he'd go for, you know, 12 months to Guam, 18 months to Thailand, this kind of thing. And I think you and I were talking the other day, this is back when uh, this was very high tech. They would record cassettes and send them back home. Yes. And then my mom would record a cassette and send that to him. That was the correspondence. That was the internet of 1973. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or, or the little, the little, uh, the little reel to reel players. Yeah. They, you know, that was the precursor to the cassette and, you know, just remember my mom being just so tickled when one of those would come in the mail. Oh, sure. You know, from Thailand or from Guam. But after his temporary duty, um, I hated to leave Raymond, but we moved to Spokane because he was stationed to Fairchild Air Force Base there. Yep. And we almost went to New Hampshire. My mom is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so uh, Joe put in to go to Fairchild, and it was a you know, move, move across the state for us. So the one year that I wasn't at Raymond was my uh, freshman year. We were stationed at Fairchild in Spokane, and I spent my freshman year at Cheney High School, home of the Blackhawks. Okay. And played baseball there, and really, it wasn't for me living away from Raymond. I was, you know, to the point where I want to play football for the team the kids that I grew up with and so forth. So for my sophomore year, after I went to Cheney as a freshman, my sophomore year, uh, Joe and my mom put me on a Greyhound bus and shipped me back to Raymond where I got to live with my grandma and grandpa, oh, starting wow. with my sophomore year. But, you know, Joe was retiring in like in November of that year, so it wasn't too long, it was like three or four months that I stayed with my my grandparents and even then as a sophomore i'd ride my bike to school or right about halfway and one of my teachers a history teacher uh dave piles would uh let me park the bike at his place and i get a ride to school in his little mg midget it's pretty cool <laughs> and uh yeah so and then when they got back to raymond after the retirement of joe we moved back into our uh, family home and then the rest as the uh, remainder of the sophomore year, junior and senior, and graduating in 78. 
We lived right there on Large Street, right next to my cousin. He had a pink house. We had a blue house. And you know what? My mom purchased that house. I want to say in 1972, Sean. Yep. Owner owner contract, eight thousand dollars. Eight thousand dollars. And I recently saw where it was on the market, and I think it was going for like one hundred seventy five. <laughs> yeah, oh, to have I'm that now. I'm surprised it was that low, but you know, at the time they. Uh, mom and Joe wanted to sell the house and move out in the country. And they did. And I never lived at that house. I stayed there a little bit when I was unemployed a couple of times, but it was way out in the country uh, next to one of the guys that I grew up in high school with. And they had cows and hogs and, you know, had a lot of room, uh, field area and stuff like that. So I got to experience some of the country life as well. Sure. But, you know, back to the biggest guy from Raymond, that was, uh, a term that was affectionately given to me years after I was in high school. Huh. Uh, most most of my good friends know I was big number five two. Uh, yes. linebacker, nose guard. You know, not a running back or anything. None of the talent positions, but just down in the trenches. You know. Sure. But they uh, they started calling me the biggest guy from Raymond. The funny thing is. My senior year, the most I weighed was 183. I was nowhere <laughs> the biggest guy from Raymond. So how did you, uh, at some point in time, you started hanging out at the local radio station? I did. Um, before that, when I was 14, I really got acquainted and really got a fascination with radio. But let me back up, even to where like 1968, when I was eight years old, I just had this fascination with the radio. We'd have it on our local station, getting ready for school in the mornings. And I would always wonder what it was like at the station. Are the guys wearing suits and ties? Are the Beatles and the Carpenters actually there? I didn't, it didn't <laughs> even dawn on me that they, they were playing records. Because at that time, in your eight-year-old mind, it's the radio. Yes. <laughs> it, it didn't even dawn on me that there were, you know, thousands of radio stations across the country. But that was the radio. So fast forward to uh, 1974, Sean, I'm 14. And this is when we're living in Spokane. And I became really hyper aware of the radio because I was a uh, top 40 radio fan. There was uh, 790, the mighty 790 KJRB, which was KJR Seattle's uh, farm team, their affiliate station in Spokane. And then there was 97 Krem, 970 AM Krem, K-R-E-M. And that was the King Radio from Seattle sister station there. So they kind of had the Seattle-Spokane similar radio battles going on. But I became aware of radio personalities, and I really started to think, this is so very cool. I'm listening to Krem one day, and uh, Andy Barber, as a matter of fact, uh, who was a uh, uh, rock jock at King Radio back in the late 70s. But before that, he was at Krem in Spokane, 97 Krem, AM. And this promo came on the air, and it said, hey, if you'd like Andy Barber to come to your school with a presentation, blah, 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 call this number. So I wrote it down, I called the number, an answering machine. I think it might have been the first time I ever spoke into an answering machine. 
they call they call it voicemail now. And uh, within a few hours, I get a call from this guy who's like my idol, Andy Barber. And we talked for a little bit, told him where I went to school. Next thing I know, Barber didn't come to Cheney High School. Cheney High School and my vocation class went to 97 Krim in wow. Spokane for a, for a station tour. Wow. Yeah, and we're on the bus riding down there, and I'm all proud of myself. I'm the one that set this up. I'm the new kid in town, you know, and uh, we got to go to see the radio station and the TV station, the uh, underground FM at the time, <laughs> playing like, you know, Jethro Tull and uh, Deep Purple and stuff like that. But it was really a fond memory, and then I really, really just knew even though it's a fascination of when I was eight or nine years old, but I knew then, bang, this is what, this is not what I want to do. This is what I have to do. Yeah. So got back to Raymond after the Greyhound bus ride. And early in my junior year, I just got up the nerve to go over to the radio station in Raymond. It was Kappa, K-A-P-A. 1340 on the dial, uh, local owners, a couple of guys that had been actors in Los Angeles and uh, acted in some uh, movies and TV shows. They wanted to get out of the rat race. So in 1958, they purchased KAPA. And it was a good, clean little radio station. And, you know, back then, Sean, you would hear anything from uh, the Beatles to the Carpenters to Kenny Rogers. Jackie Gleason Orchestra, just a wide variety was called Variety Radio or MOR, Middle of the Road. Okay. But then they went in, but then they went into some what they call block programming, which in the mornings is kind of middle of the road, and during the middays they played a little country mixed in, and then in the afternoon at three o'clock it was the KAPA Rock Hour. <laughs> Only for an hour, though. Yeah, just the rock hour, for one hour from three until four. I guess they figured, you know, kids were getting out of school, and hey, we can cater to them on the school bus on the ride home, and you know, maybe they tell their parents about it, and the parents listen. But you know, KAPA owned that area; it was the only radio station in town, and our main three areas were Raymond, South Bend, and Willapa Valley. And those were our three uh, main local competitors in sports as well. So sometime in my junior year, I made a call. Guy on the air was named Bruce, Bruce Bond. I think, I think he might still be on the air in Tacoma. But he allowed me to come by the radio station. And I took one look at that mixer board, which now I know is very, very basic. And I'm like, whoa. How do you know what all these knobs and switches and flashing lights and buttons? <laughs> what are they for? Yeah, it's like it's really easy. I'll teach it to you. So I got a little acquainted with the station. I mean, Sean, I would go there and mow the lawn, I would take the trash out, I would place the teletype machine uh, paper, uh, vacuum inside the station. Wow. Uh, you name it, just for the opportunity to hang out there. And then on Saturday morning, they would allow me to come in and kind of practice. Uh, you know, the main studio and then what's called the production studio. Yeah. An yeah. Off the air studio to record commercials then and things of that nature. 
And one Saturday morning during my junior year, one of the owners came in, Bob, Bob Clunch, and he says, uh, hey, Randy, um, do you like coffee? <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I drink coffee once in a while. He says, well, I want you to go on at noon. Jack and I need to run into town. So you need to start with the noon news. It's like 1030. I have plenty of time to get nervous about it, you know. <laughs> so they leave at a little before noon. I take over the air chair. My very first time on the air anywhere ever. Left by myself at the station. <laughs> But I did have the wherewithal before that to get my FCC license. Oh, which, interesting. Yeah. Which at that time, you had to go to Seattle to the federal building. And the minimum you needed was a third-class license. A lot of math, a lot of formulas, some electronic formulas, things yeah. of that nature. And you had to have the third-class endorsement, or the Element 9 endorsement for that, to be able to be left alone at a radio station. Well, the first time that I went up to take it, I got to drive, but my my stepdad, Joe, was with me, and I failed the element nine. I, Sean, I was crestfallen. Oh, I bet. I bet. I got I got the third-class license, and then you can go back and take the element nine again. you got to bring your license with you. They stamp it with the element nine, and then I was good to go. Anyhow, Bob and Jack go into town. And I start with the new news, and it was brutal, Sean. It was a 15-minute <laughs> newscast, you know, and 15-minute newscast with national and international news, uh, national sports, local sports, if there were any, uh, some local sports stories, sure. regional news, and it was a 15-minute ordeal. And these guys, they, they ran that place like a network for a little town. You weren't allowed to uh, come out at the top of the hour like, more than 10 seconds either way. You would hit the top of the hour. Sure. And if it was the five-minute newscast, they wanted you to be done at five after. Not five and a half after, four and a half after, but five after. So, you know, there is some uh, pretty intense things for a, a 16-year-old kid to be thinking about. Anyhow, uh, I should have known that this might have been a harbinger for my career. One of the last things Bob had said before they left me alone at the radio station, he says, Randy, Whatever you do, don't play the long version of Chuck Mangione Feels So Good. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It was a top 40 hit, you know, but it was an 11 minute version uh, on the album. I said, oh yeah, I won't, I won't, you know. So I just like, I'm, I'm it's brutal. I'm on till like two o'clock trying to catch my breath. I need some time to kind of get organized. So what did I do? <laughs> what do you think I did, Sean? You played the taboo song. I reached down and I grabbed the album, Chuck Mangione. 
king king of the flugelhorn by the way of the flugelhorn okay <laughs> and i played that 11 minute version of feel so good and when bob and jack got back to the station it didn't feel so good it felt like my radio career had ended so yeah they were very disappointed that i had done exactly what they said not to do but i got another opportunity and uh, actually during my senior year in high school i stayed working there part-time you know between then and my senior year sure and my senior year in high school i would get out of school at noon and i was done i was done with school but then i got credits for work study at the radio station. At the radio station, sure. Plus, I got to make $2.30 an hour. $2.30 an hour. And, you know, really, it wasn't that bad of scratch back then, especially, you know, getting out of school at noon. And I did the afternoon show, and that was 12.30 to 6.30 when they would sign off the air at 6.30. <laughs> Six thirty in the evening, they signed off. The yeah, year. I mean the station was on weekdays and Saturday from six thirty to six thirty, and then Sundays I would work the entire day, eight a.m. to four p.m. Wow! And that was an eight-hour day. You played the records, you played the religious programming, uh, you played you know different little programs with Carol Channing and. Just things like that. And, you know, you would spend the whole day there. You'd get there, warm up the transmitter at about, you know, 7.30, uh, make a pot of coffee if you wanted to. Sure. And uh, about uh, 7.59 on Sunday, you would punch the transmitter on, walk into the studio, <laughs> and play the sign-on, which included the uh, national anthem. Right. And it went something like this. KAPA Raymond South Bend now begins another day of broadcasting. KAPA is locally owned and operated by Willapa Broadcasting and operates at a assigned frequency of 1,340 kilocycles, with a assigned power of 1,000 watts daytime, 250 nighttime. Welcome to KAPA. <laughs> John, I got to tell you, just reciting that, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Well, you also didn't, wasn't the national anthem played before you signed off to at the night, at night? It was basically the same, the same verbiage. Sure. But instead of now begins another broadcast day, KAPA now ends another day of broadcasting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, KAPA is locally owned and operated, yada, yada, yada. And uh, then you would have the national anthem. You'd walk over, shut the transmitter off. Take out the trash, vacuum the floors, spray Lysol. I mean, these guys were really, really particular, sure, really sure. meticulous. And if you didn't do any of your duties, believe me, you would hear about it the next day. <laughs> or if, and they were very good teachers. I got to tell you, I remember saying, uh, like, we had to do the national news. So I would say uh, about the uh, city in Columbia, Bogota. And Bob would come in and go, Randy. It's not Bogota, it's Bogota. <laughs> and, you know, little things like that, like saying uh, um, W instead of W. Right. Just things of that nature. And they, they were very, very good teachers and quite possibly, Sean, uh, some of the best bosses that I ever had. That's, that's crazy. 
you were of course so, a big a big hit in high school then too is the is the senior that was on the radio well that was what i was going to segue to next is i was the one that hosting the tech rallies i was on microphone doing the announcement of assemblies and things of that nature so yeah i it's funny but about the time i got into radio i was I guess maybe showing a whole different level of respect with the kids at school. And I was, it sounds weird, but maybe a little more well-liked and included in things. Hey, Randy, radio DJ, you want to do this? Come on over to my house, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that part was fun. And I'd be the one that would set up for school dances and sock hops. I I knew the equipment. Sure. Set up the amplifiers and the speakers and the, Eight players. That's back when cassettes were king. Let me tell you. Eight tracks were on the way out, and cassettes were coming in. So we did our some of our dances uh, off cassette. It was very crude, Sean. It was like one cassette player, and you would just go from song to song. And then we started having the professional sock hops come in, and I say professional, it was from KGHO in Aberdeen, the big city. The big city. Yeah, KGHO in Hoakland, and I got acquainted there as well, and they let me come in and practice. I eventually ended up working there, and, you know, for me, going into KGHO after working at Kappa uh, my senior year, I might as well have been walking into KJR in Seattle, because this was like, wow, this is the big time. Oh, sure. Uh, KGHO, was pulling 35 shares of the audience. It was just, if you didn't listen to KGHO in that town, you didn't listen to anything. And so their dance, they they would bring their dance system down. I got to know some of the DJs. In fact, a a guy that's a very good friend of mine to this day, and we talk every week, Paul Thompson. And he's a disc jockey or air talent right now at Star 101.5 in Seattle. We've maintained our relationship all these years. uh, he really made an influence on me. And so many people, you know, when you're that age, you're just so impressionable and you watch people, you learn from watching. That's me. I, if, I buy, if I buy a product, for example, I'm not really big on reading the instruction manual. I go to YouTube and I watch somebody do it. You know? Right, right. I don't want to read the instructions. <laughs> you only read the instructions when it doesn't work the first time. Exactly. When all else fails, reading the instruction <laughs> manual. And you know, Sean, this is all well, well before the internet or email. And I'll tell you something. Yeah. Right now, when I'm on the air in Wenatchee at Z Country 94.7 or Coho 101.1, if our internet goes down for several hours, we're lost. Completely. Sad state of affairs, yeah. Because, you know, we get our weather from there. We get our our news from the Associated Press over the Internet. All these things and communication just stops. It's like, okay, we don't have a teletype machine. Where am I going to get the weather? So then it's like, oh, hey, you know what? I can use the data on my phone to get any information I need in the meantime. Absolutely. Right in the palm of your hand. Exactly. Yeah, when's the last time that you've heard a a radio news broadcast start with the ticker tape machine going off in the background. 
I would have to say 1979. Yeah, that's not a sound you hear anymore. No, and they had the uh, the sound of the uh, Associated Press machine, but it was a recording. It wasn't like the machine was right there in the oh, studio. Oh, sure, sure. It was on an endless loop that you would just stick in and start for the newscast. <laughs> and it was late, yeah, early 1979. It was uh, up until that time. And then that's about the time that AM radio started falling off. Right. Everything was going FM, Power, Star, you know, uh, Cube, this, that, and the other. So KJR in Seattle probably maintained the top 40 format, I'd say two years more than anyone thought they would. Because really about, gosh, Sean, 80, 81 was really the turnaround when, you know, outside of the rock stations, KZOK in Seattle and KISW, uh, the top 40 stations were all AM stations. Yes. And then somebody discovered, why can't we put this format on FM, crystal clear stereo, 93 KUBE Seattle, Charlie Brown, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, that's when it just really, really took off. And there were some great radio stations in the Northwest. Uh, a lot of the guys I got to know uh, from KJR. Uh, do you remember KNBQ in Tacoma? I, I do remember the call letters, yes. 97 KNBQ. Got to meet and know a lot of those guys. But, you know, Sean, I never did really aspire or try to get into the larger market. There's a... There's a, uh, there's really an art to doing smaller market radio. And I've been from Raymond to Longview to Olympia, Mount Vernon, Aberdeen, back to Aberdeen, um, and worked several times Centralia, for example. But there's an art to doing small market radio. I talk to uh, major market radio guys now, and they'll be the first to say, I don't know if I could do what you guys do because you're ingrained in the community. You know, business owners. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a, yeah. And you have, I would think you almost have to, you have, you have to know the local people. You do. And you know, some of them, uh, most of them actually become clients or as I like to say, partners of the radio station. I don't really care for the word client or customer, but you know, we treat them as partners. You get ingrained in the, local celebrations that are going on. You do live broadcasting for the 4th of July. Uh, You get to know people within the Chamber of Commerce by name. And it's really a boots-on-the-ground kind of thing. And the major market thing, I think one of the biggest things that didn't appeal to me is, Sean, that it's very cutthroat. Um, Yeah. I guess to say, I'd rather be a, a big fish in a small pond. And I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I've been doing this. I've been doing this over 40 years, probably 43 years now, and I still enjoy going into work every day. Yeah, that's the best part of it. Now, although now most of my time is spent in administrative and planning as the program director for both of our radio stations, but my outlet is getting to be on the air. I do the midday show 10 to 2 on Coho 101, and then I do the afternoons 3 to 6, a part of it's voice track. You can voice track now um, on the country station. But, I, you know, that's the, that's the big outlet. It's the creative outlet is to being on the air, but you're still, that's about 20% of my time as a program director. Sure, sure. 
Well, I hear at this point, uh, so you're, you're, you're in Wenatchee, and uh, I hear at this point you've taken on a, a, little, uh, a little side uh, gig, per se, uh, with your own podcast. you want to share a little bit about that? I do, and thanks for mentioning that, Sean. It's called the Radio Conference Call. Now, back in the day, uh, early, mid, and late 70s, there were programming conference calls with uh, program directors from New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Seattle, and they'd get on the horn each week and talk about, hey, what's the new music that's out there? What are you going to be playing and adding to your playlist this week? Well, I adopted that name. It's the Radio Conference Call Podcast, the best place to get it, actually. I use SoundCloud as kind of a, a place to uh, keep them, but the best place to hear these is on PugetSoundMedia.com. PugetSoundMedia.com. It's run by Jason Remington, an old radio guy like me, and he takes every one of my podcasts and embeds them into his website where you can see how many hits it gets, any comments that people want to leave. And really proud of some of the uh, uh, work that we've done. I have two other guys that I have asked to be part of it. One of them is Paul Thompson at uh, Star 101.5 in Seattle. And the other one is uh, Jeff Conwell. He's a uh, program director at one of our sister stations in Lake Chelan, KOZI. So, but between us, gosh, we've done small market guys, major market guys. Uh, guys like Stan Foreman, the uh, uh, regional rep for Capitol Records for about 20-some years in Seattle. He had some great stories to tell. Uh, Steve West was the program director of KJRB in Spokane, KJR in Seattle, KISW general manager. Do you remember, John, do you remember 96.5 KXRX? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Well, Steve was the GM there. That's somebody that I really followed and admired throughout the years. So Steve West, we did uh, Joe Cooper from King Radio, uh, Burl Bear, Joe Michaels, uh, the former voice of King TV, uh, Andy Barber. I mentioned Barber uh, earlier on, Jeff did Barber. Uh, Rick Hansen, Rockin' Rick Hansen, a longtime uh, radio personality in the Seattle-Tacoma area. And we really call it a podcast by radio people, for radio people, and even if you just enjoy listening to the radio, you know, these guys pulling back the curtain a little bit and telling some of their great stories of how they got to where they are and some of the wild backstage stories of going to Rolling Stones concerts and yeah, things of that nature. That's and, you know, it's just a labor of love for me and for Paul and Jeff. We just love to contribute. And, Sean, we I, I feel... It started out as one interview, and I thought, why, why don't I do more of these? And it started out actually a couple of summers ago, maybe three summers ago. And I thought, why not do more? People are interested in this. So I started branching out, branching out, talking to more people. And Well, you've definitely got the connections. We do. And, you know, now people are that we reach out to are like, yeah, I want to be part of this too, because they see their peers on there and uh, listen to these different uh, interviews and things of that nature. But you know, one thing that I thought about getting into this when I first started doing multiple interviews, 
I feel like it makes me a steward, if you will, of my profession. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, in the history aspect of it, you know, like the Veneration Nation, for example, these guys aren't going to be around forever. That's right. And it's a way to display and really honor the history of a profession that's been so very good to me. And the radio conference call podcast, it's really one of the highlights of my week when I get to sit down with these guys and uh, do the interviews, and do the editing, get it posted. And I'm real proud of it. We've gotten some really, really good reviews from people all over the country, as a matter of fact. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, Randy, I want to thank you for being on tonight. Uh, I think this was just awesome to uh, hear a little bit about uh, small town uh, southwest Washington. Um, I'll tell you what, is there any last words that uh, you'd like to say here before we uh, conclude this? I would. And, you know, I was thinking about this, John, and you creating the Veneration Nation podcast. It really pays homage to I know we have very few World War II veterans uh, still with us, but I have always, and I know you have too, Sean, I've had the utmost respect for our military men and women who serve because they sign a contract that includes up to and giving their life for our country. And that's, that's quite something. And I have the utmost respect for the military, and I applaud you for the Veneration Nation podcast too, Sean. We, Perfect, we thank can't you. Let this, we, we can't let this history, uh, we just can't let it pass. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree 100%. Okay, Randy, now I'm going to let you take us out here. Uh, and again, I thank you for uh, uh, being on tonight. And uh, I'll let you go here. We'll let you take this out. Well, Sean, it was my pleasure. Thank you so very much for uh, thinking of me. I don't know that my story's uh, really that interesting, but maybe so. Randy, I appreciate you 100%. Thank you. Love you, brother. Thank Thanks, you. John. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us tonight. Again, to remind you, if you have someone you think might be a popular guest for us, uh, please send out a quick email to the Veneration Nation at Outlook.com and uh, please tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you very much.